back to Open House with James Tatum. This is episode two. Today, the bread and butter of the episode will be the split jerk, or just the jerk, kind of all the different aspects of the jerk, and a few other little things that came up in conversation in the gym this week. So this podcast is focused around conversations inspired by being in the gym. You know, everything from training methods, massage, uh, technique, and you know, whatever else comes up in the gym. So if you're interested in this, make sure you uh, subscribe to the channel, like, comment, subscribe, uh, press the notification button, whatever your platform does. Uh, We're working on getting on quite a few different platforms, so uh, just uh, engage if you can. um, Leave reviews and let me know what you think. So today, the, uh, the split jerk. To give a little bit of an introduction to the split jerk, It is the most technical lift of the three, meaning the snatch, the clean, and the jerk. Those are the main lifts that we compete in in the sport of weightlifting. Uh, Some people call it Olympic-style weightlifting, only lifting, but, uh, you know, really, you can just boil it down. They call it weightlifting, and that's just the name of the sport. So the jerk is where you take the bar from, you know, the shoulders, and then you put it over your head. Uh, You do it after the clean portion of uh, the clean and jerk. And it's the most most technical. And what I mean by that is that it's more dependent on position than anything else. Because there are just some people, you know, they're not, not necessarily the strongest person in the gym. And they're not necessarily, you know, the fastest. But... They tend to be uh, really good jerkers. So, you know, why does that happen? Why does somebody that's not the strongest and the fastest never miss jerks? You know, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, you start to wonder and you start to kind of dive into the jerk. And and, uh, a lot of times, if you're like me, it led to a lot of frustration in your training. I, uh, I spent a long time being frustrated with the jerk. You know, I started out, I was very good at the snatch. The snatch is a very speed dependent lift. And uh, I was I was pretty fast, so I got away with making a lot of snatches, even with poor technique. And then as I got stronger, I got better at the clean, because the clean is like the the strength-dependent lift. But the jerk, you know, that just baffled my mind. You know, I would try so hard on that dip and drive, and I would just go, 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 and then it would be so slow, and my elbows would be soft, meaning that they, they wouldn't lock out, and they'd be wobbling around. And so the sport of weightlifting, you have to have that elbows locked out completely for your for it to be passed in competition so if that elbow is like bending and rebending sometimes you see this in the in crossfit um when they're you know the goal is just to get the weight overhead you know in weightlifting the goal is to get the weight overhead in a smooth locked out position you know no no rebending of the elbows it just gets jerked right up to that locked out elbow position and then it stays there so, you know, in my own experience, I had the hard time with the jerk. And, you know, to be honest, my coach, Glenn Pendley, who, you know, I, I would be remiss to not mention this, he he died on, a, on 9-5, and I'm, I'm forgetting the year, 2020, um, 2019, um, just recently. And so his, uh, the anniversary of his death just passed. But, uh... So he was my coach from 2012 to 2016, um, and he he even admitted that he did not like coaching the jerk. You know, he liked coaching the snatch and the clean, but he was just like, ah, I just don't really like the jerk, you know. And, you know, I think that kind of transferred down because he never really had a ton of lifters that were uh, exceptional at the jerk. And then I also worked with Don McCauley and... Uh, you know, who Don also passed away in the past couple of years. And uh, he wasn't a, he didn't like to teach the jerk. Well, let me put it this way. He taught the jerk in a very unique way. Um, and the way I teach the jerk now, I, uh, I don't agree with the way Don taught the jerk. And uh, we'll kind of get into those ins and outs of that, of that, uh, different ways to think about the jerk uh you know because sometimes the way you think about the jerk and what actually happens are two different things so we've got this situation where i'm just frustrated in the jerk uh and i can't figure out how to jerk 
Uh, and it took me a long time. So I kind of learned the ins and outs of the jerk because I had such a hard time with it. And then I would see some people and they would just kind of breeze through that jerk. So now let's get down into this, uh, this technical stuff. And this is one of the things that I actually learned from Glenn. Uh, the people that make jerks, one of the most common uh, things that they do is that they change directions at the bottom of the dip drive fast. So changing directions fast is different than dip and driving fast. Changing directions fast is, you know, doing whatever you need to do on the way down so that you can change directions quickly. For example, if you go down the dip too fast, that bar might come off your shoulders because you're going down faster than gravity is pulling that bar down. And then when you change direction, that bar slams into your shoulders and you're changing direction slow because that weight just hit you hard and it's kind of burying you down into the uh, the bottom of that dip. So you're changing direction slow. So in that case, you might actually want to, uh, I don't want to say slow down, but I want to say smooth out that dip so that you can make that change of direction faster. And some people, you know, there's two different styles of jerkers. This is something that I learned from Greg Everett. You know, you got those people that are fast dipping drivers, you know, that the, the quick the quick down and up and it's a real short uh, and it's kind of a jerky thing but you'll see that they still make a fast change of directions at the bottom and then you also see the people that are kind of a deeper slower dip drive uh, and they kind of muscle through it it's not as elastic but again look at that change direction look how they change directions from the bottom of the dip to going back up to the drive that is the important thing now, whether you're a, a, a fast jerker or, or a slower jerker, you know, you're going to have to kind of find that out yourself and kind of experiment, or you might even be somewhere right in the middle, which most people are, I think. So that's kind of getting into the dip drive. That change of direction is one of the most, or one of the key indicators of a made jerk. Uh, and if you think about weightlifting, you know, we're, we're getting pretty technical in this one. Things that you do earlier on in the lift are more important than things that happen later in the lift. So, for example, well, you know what? Let's just stick with the jerk. Uh, if you if you're standing up and you got the bar and you're about to do your dip, and then you kind of rock way forward on the front of your foot, or you know, on the other end of the spectrum, way back on your heel, uh, and then you do your dip and it's not straight down, and you know, you get a little loop in that path and that bar kind of. The bar path, if you're looking straight from the side, starts moving forward. That's going to have a big, a, a big change in position once you drive that bar overhead. So the things that happen first are more important. Finding your balance on your feet before you dip is going to be you know priority number one because that's the thing that happens the earliest in the lift. If you're out of position at the start, you're definitely going to be out of position at the end. So. Make sure that you get things uh, corrected earlier on in the lift and you'll be in a better position to improve your technique. So here we are, we're at the bottom, you know, the bottom of the dip drive. You gotta make sure that's right. And let's go to that, that topic of balance on the feet. You know, some people like to, uh, like to say go back on the heels on the dip drive. And then some people, uh, you know, I, I hear that a lot and I, uh, you know, personally, I don't like that cue. I rarely see someone do that and then have a straight down and up dip drive. You know, they go so far back on their heels that when they dip, you know, there's nowhere for them to balance themselves. So then that bar path comes forward. You know, that is really the, you know, the end all be all. You know, some people have these preconceived ideas because they hear coaches yell out, Go on heels, heels on the dip drive. Now you got to remember that that just might be what that athlete needs to hear. That that that's just what they need to think about in order to do the right thing because they might kind of generally be too far forward on their foot. But if you go too far back on your heels, or you know, if you got on a a uh, you know the, the I, I'm drawing a blank of what they're called, but if they measure kind of where your weight is on your foot and you're on your heels and it showed you where your actual weight was, you would probably have a terrible jerk, unless you were had certain proportions. But most people, if all of their weight was on their heels, like these cues being yelled out or saying, 
uh, it would be a terrible jerk. Um, now, what that athlete has to think about in order to have a good jerk, might they might need to think, come back on my heels, and they ended up being in the correct position for them. So the first thing is start observing your balance on your feet. You know, don't come in with this preconceived idea of heels or midfoot. You know, go in, get an idea of the balance, learn your body, learn where the weight is on your feet, and then start correlating where you feel, you know, feel is a very subjective word, the weight on your feet compared to when you hit the best jerks. That is where you're really going to kind of dial in and figure out how to become a better jerker. Uh, so now that I'm at that point, we, we have the balance of the feet. We have the change of direction in the dip drive as being a number one key indicator of a successful jerk. Now, the next thing that we're going into is, uh, you know, finishing the drive. You know, I'll keep this one short. You know, if you don't finish the drive and you kind of sneak under it, you tend to short step. You don't step out enough with the front foot. You know, there's a couple other reasons that that could happen, but that is one of the common things is you're, you're not really giving your front foot enough time because you're going, you're, you're cutting the drive short. You don't give your front foot enough time to get all the way out into that front position. So that, like, if you find yourself doing that a lot, you make sure you finish that drive. And this brings me to the point where we had a conversation in the gym about the jerk. So the jerk is like this down up, down up. You know, we were talking about the successful things to make you good at a jerk. And I, uh, my point was saying that you need to be reactive. You need to be able to change directions multiple times very quickly and, you know, first weighted at the bottom of the dip drive and then second after you drive up you need to push your body down you know or drop you know whatever you're thinking um, but then once you land you need to put immediate pressure once you land in the split you need to put immediate pressure back up so you have to be able to make these fast changes of directions down up down up so that is one of the key factors of you know being successful at the jerk, you know, a loaded down up and then an unloaded down and then a loaded up, you know, being able to turn those things on and off fast. That is going to be one of the big things to, uh, you know, help you be a successful jerker. Now this brings me into, you know, this is, a another small side. There's a, there's an exercise and it's where you have a mace and you kind of twirl it around your head. And I've messed around with it a little bit, and I never really understood it. And it was always, it always came pretty easy to me. And I was just like, ah, this is kind of weird. But it's where you're, you're kind of holding a mace in front of you. And it's almost like a sword. And then you, you know, twirl it around the back of your body. And then it swings down around your butt. And then the mace head or the, the, the weighted end of the mace comes around. And then you catch it again in the front of your body. And you're not really doing a lot of muscular work when you're doing this. You know, you got some core stabilization. Uh, but I recently heard it described as, uh, you know, being able to switch things on and off. You know, switch things from when that mace is in front of you and you're holding it stable, those muscles are on. And now when you let it swing down behind you, you have to turn your arms off and let them relax so that that mace can gain momentum and you can use the speed of the mace dropping down behind you and the momentum to bring it back up around in front of you again. So that turning on and off is kind of the valuable thing of that exercise, which, uh, you know, that made me think of the jerk. You know, that's the, that's the key to the jerk. Being able to switch from loaded to unloaded and moving your body fast and your elbows to jab up into the bar fast. You know, if you can't switch that from you know, loaded and moving and strength and slow to that fast, quick jerk. You know, that's the name of it, jerk. It's jerky. It's fast. Um, that is, that. I mean, that's the key. So that is the uh, another one of the main components. You know, you finish the drive and then you, you have to be relaxed and fast and move an unloaded body fast under the bar and then turn it back on and then be able to support a load overhead. So we're coming into the next point. The next point is to uh, 
you know, the idea of what you have to think about to do that down, up, down, up. This, uh, what you have to do about, so for example, my coach, uh, Don McCauley, he was very much up, 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 you know, he, uh, I think he changed later on, but when he first started coaching me and, uh, and he was coaching his, uh, his wife, <clears throat> uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Leathers, uh, ex-wife now, who she was a very good weightlifter, very strong. Uh, I believe that she would try to power everything until she missed it. And when she jerked, she would, uh, this is how Don coached her. She would drive that bar up as high as possible. And then Don used to say, I want you to think of being taller in the split than you are standing up, which is theoretically impossible. But that was his idea because he just wanted you to think up, up, up. There was no, there was no second down in his the way he taught the jerk. You know, he, he knew that there was, but he would try to have you do the lift with such urgency that there was no second down. So it was down up for the dip and drive. And then after that, it was just all up, 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 up. And the feet just happened to move in the split, which kind of made you go down. And that's how he taught the split. And I did that style split and it worked for me momentarily. Um, as a 77, uh, eventually it, uh, it kind of did not work for me personally as I got into heavier weights. You know, it worked for me up until about like 170 kilos or so when I was a 77 lifter. Uh, then after that, I kind of ran into some problems because, you know, I was a skinny little 77 lifter that was, you know, five foot eight, which is tall for a 77, where uh, I couldn't drive the bar up that high. You know, I was just, you know, collapsing under the dip and drive. And it, yeah, that, that's a separate thing. But so I'm at the uh, the two, 2013 World Championships, and I'm warming up in the uh, in the back room. This is a couple days before, and I'm doing my jerks like Don showed me, and I'm at like 70 kilos, and I'm moving fast. You know, I'm going, I'm going hard, and uh, you know my feet are hitting. I'm the loudest one in the weight room, uh, and uh, Zygmunt comes up. And it was like, no, 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 like slow down. And he had some broken English. Zygmunt Smallsters was the uh, the USA head coach at the time. Uh, he was originally from Polish. He was a 1972 gold medalist. So pretty good weightlifter. And he, you know, he had some valuable things to, you know, bring to the table. But this was one of the things, you know, he probably shouldn't have told me to slow down. This wasn't the time. You know, this was this was competition. And so, you know, the rest of that session, even though it was light, I was thinking about that. I was slowing down. You know, I was thinking about slowing down and getting into position. You know, a couple of days before the World Championships is not when you train your, you change your training methodology. Uh, you know, a couple of days before any competition is not when you change your methodology. You know, even if it was wrong for me at that time, which Zygmunt saw that, that it was probably wrong and it was probably limiting me. So that's when it really kind of spoke to me like, oh, this might not be the exact right way to do this, but I shouldn't have had those thoughts uh, right before a competition. Either way, you know, that competition turned out okay. You know, I didn't do great at that competition, um, but I did make my jerks. So uh, that point aside, um, you know, him having that conversation with me about the jerk, you know, started to get me thinking about the different ways of doing the jerk. And then after I got back from Poland, which uh, where the world championships were, uh, I mess around with changing up my jerk technique and, you know, that was just a long drawn out process of, you know, figuring that out. But, uh, you know, this, this is one of the conversations, one of the remote guys we have, um, and who is, uh, you know, stepping into a coaching role actually with uh, the team at house of weightlifting, uh, house of weightlifting is the gym that I own in Indian land, South Carolina, just South of Charlotte, North Carolina. He has uh, the American Open Series, too, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, coming up pretty soon. So he is, uh, you know, he's getting ready for that. And we've actually been talking about his jerk a little bit more recently. And he thinks of it how Don used to coach the jerk. And, you know, some of these uh, figuring out kind of the jerk and, you know, coaching remotely and some things, you know, don't go over perfectly uh, in a remote situation. So a lot of times when he comes and visits the gym, which he gets to do that pretty often, we get to address a lot of these things. But now with this AO thing coming up, uh, AO competition, American Open Series, 
this is not the time for him to do it. So we were actually having this whole conversation about, you know, whether you should try to be as tall as possible in the jerk or if you should drop down uh, when you're going into the split. And he thinks going as tall as possible. Um, and that's kind of where this conversation came up. And so then I almost had to like, my first thought was, okay, we need to stop this conversation. You know, I don't want him to do that same pitfall that I had where I'm second guessing or thinking about changing my jerk a couple, you know, for him, you know, a week and a half out from a competition. And so that, you know, we got to, we got to work on that uh, a little bit after, you know, right after the competition where he can start thinking about dropping down. So in that respect, how do you start thinking about dropping down underneath the weight? You know, you see some people that drop under the weight and then they catch the weight and then it pushes them down. You know, that's another thing that's not good because then then you're getting pushed down, the bar's moving. The, the deeper you are in the split, the harder it is to recover. So if you drop down too far, you know, you're just getting pushed way down. But you need to be able to drop down the right amount so that you can change directions and come back up and put upward pressure on the bar in the split. So there's a couple ways to do this. The split jerk provides stability in the split by the legs being forward and back, which gives you front and back stability. And it provides you stability left or right because, you know, your feet are hip width wide or wider. You know, if they're not wide, you're tight roping your jerk and you need to go wider. And then by being in the split and the back knee being bent, you are providing vertical stability. So that back knee bends. If that weight pushes you down, the back knee bends and the bar only moves vertically. If that back leg is straight, you know, that acts as a kickstand and then that kickstands the weight to move forward, which you don't want. You know, any horizontal movement of the bar is a lot harder for you to control. You know, that's why we bend the back knee in the split is so that if it pushes you down or if you drop down under the weight, you um, only have vertical movement of the bar. So here we are at this position. You know, we've gone over the balance of the foot, the dip drive, you know, fully driving up, and now we're into this split position. And that back knee's bent, and you're going under by bending that back knee and kind of dropping. Uh, so when you're dropping, you know, still the, uh, the arms have to be relaxed. You know, sometimes even before you do the dip drive, you can just wiggle your fingers just to make sure your hands stay relaxed and you have that jab type movement when you're going under the bar. That is, uh, that is crucial to having that fast jerk. So having that relaxed grip and then that'll help you kind of drop and, you know, you do your dip drive and once that bar's kind of over your head, then you kind of jab and you push yourself down. But then once your feet hit, you need to put that upward pressure right away and get that, uh, get that bar stabilized and not let it push you down into the split. So when you're, when you're doing that, you do, I, I like to think of only bending the back knee to help you get down there. And, you know, this gets kind of tricky. Different people are going to have to think about different things to get that drop in. But then again, that's that biggest thing is that once you drop, then you have to stop. You know, that, that split position has to be that fast eccentric on the legs, that fast stop. You know, there's a couple exercises that I like, really like to do to kind of help with this idea of that fast stop. One of them is the step to split, you know, alternating because it helps balance out the, uh, the hips. So it's like a lunge, but, you know, a, a forward lunge. And when you step with that front leg and once it hits the ground, you immediately put on the brakes and it almost like rattles the bar because you are stopping so aggressively. And that's really going to kind of help train those muscles to learn how to stop that downward movement of the bar really fast. You know, there's a, so that one's step to split. You can also do another variation where it's drop to split. And you can do this with the, with the weight on your back or overhead or in front. There's lots of different variations, but you're kind of uh, you're just standing Let's just say if it's uh, with the bar on your back, you're standing with the bar on your back and then you can have a little bit of bend in your knees, but then you just move your feet immediately into the split and then you just stop right there. Um, and the bar might drop just a few inches, not much, um, but the bar is still like almost a straight up and down type of movement and then your feet just happen to move in the split. One of the most impressive things that I've seen 
with this exercise. I've never been able to do a lot of weight on this, and I can't remember exactly how much it was, but it was uh, it was Donovan Ford at the Olympic Training Center, and this was probably in 2015 or so. And I think he was doing like 200 kilos on this exercise, and he was just making it look easy, and it was pretty impressive. You know, Donovan Ford is a uh, he was a 105 kilo lifter, and he clean and jerked. 210 kilos he may have done more that's what i remember him doing uh so he was a good clean and jerker you know he was uh he was really close to making the 2016 olympics uh you know he was ranked right up there yeah i don't remember which one he placed he was higher than me for sure um but uh he uh, that was a pretty impressive lift that i saw him do and that was one of those exercises that zigman actually had him doing so those are both really good exercises to learn to help you, you know, stop and you hit that split position and you stop immediately having that change of direction. So here we are in the split, you know, you know, that's uh, I've already recapped. So you're, you're changing direction. So you're dropping under by bending the back knee to get deeper. And then once you hit that split, then you stop aggressively. And uh, now we are at the recovery and uh, the recovery is kind of neat. The idea of the split jerk recovery is, uh, again, there's very little horizontal movement of the bar. You know, you're in the split, and then you take a small f step back with your front leg, uh, kind of pushing off of the heel, and then at the same time you're stepping back, you're just putting upward pressure on the bar, so the bar is moving up, not back. So your hips raise by pushing back on the front foot. And then you take another small step, and then you bring the back foot, back foot up. So theoretically, if you did this, and uh, you know the, you filmed from the side, and you drew a line straight down, you're in the split. You should be able to recover, and the bar only move, for the most part, vertical until you're standing straight up. You know that's, you know that's in a perfect world. You know that doesn't always happen because. You know, you're in competition, you know, the bar gets out of position, especially when you're at such high percentages, 100 or, you know, even at PR weights, you know, things are going to be out of position a little bit and you need to react. Um, so here we are in these, uh, the split position and that bar only goes up and the amount of energy that you have to expend when you um, only move that bar up is much less than if you have to like start recovering the jerk by bringing the back leg up because then that bar has to move forward and then once you have horizontal movement of the bar then your shoulders need to activate and do more work to stabilize and you know the whole deal and it's just a it's just a lot of work uh, the goal is to do it as easy easily as possible so that you can save enough energy for your third attempt in the clean and jerk or for the not even the third the next attempt you know each lift should be one at a time but that's why we are doing them with such efficiency because, you know, we want enough energy for the third attempt and for, you know, the maximum amount of weight. Uh, so the exercises that you can use for that, you know, the, the famous one is the jerk recovery in the power rack. Uh, that is literally the only reason I bought a power rack for my weightlifting gym um, because, you know, I want my weightlifters to squat and do like front squat plus jerks and stuff off of squat stands where they're like out in the open and free. Uh, and then the power rack, you know, you could squat in there if there's no squat stands left or something like that. But for the most part, you know, in a weightlifting gym, you want that to be able to do pin work. You know, you throw those pins in and you get into your split position so that that bar is overhead and, uh, and your elbows are locked out. And then you're unloaded and then you recover from your split and immediately go into a loaded position. So you're kind of overloading that that position. You know, that now that I'm trying to explain it just in audio, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit challenging. I think I'm losing some stuff, but if you look up that exercise, it's just called jerk recovery. Uh, you'll kind of get a better visual of that uh, that exercise, and it's pretty obvious of what it's going to help you do. And then, you know, that's a good place to practice your recovery and some other things that I do is if I'm teaching someone the jerk is I'll have them, you know, I'll hold a PVC pipe right there so that they can feel when that PVC pipe hits uh, the end of their bar so that they know that they're getting vertical or they're not 
if the bar's moving too much horizontally during the recovery. So lots of little tricks and stuff that you can do to uh, learn the jerk a little bit better. But that's a uh, that's a good point. That brings me to uh, you know how I teach the jerk. Um, and as you can tell, you know I I got pretty deep into the split jerk, and there's a lot of stuff that I left out. And you can get easily overwhelmed with all of this information that I'm kind of throwing at you about the split jerk. But really, the uh, the best way to the best way that I have found to teach the split jerk is through drills and drills that just trick you into being in the right position. You know, just like that whole down, up, down, up. It's, in, you know, it's hard to do that in the moment in the split jerk, but it's pretty easy to do when you're doing a step to split. You know, the, uh, this getting into the split position, you know, a right split position is kind of hard in the middle of the jerk, but it's easy when you're doing press and split. Because you just get in there and you get it slow and, you know, into the position. you got someone that helps adjust you. And then you just sit there and you observe and let your body get used to the right position. And then eventually, you know, that's your body just says, hey, this is the right position. And it will naturally move to that position. And that's what you want. You don't want to have to consciously think about too much during the split jerk. You know, maybe one or two things. And personally, those things are things that I like to think about before the lift, not even during like my favorite one is find the balance on your foot before you dip and wiggle your fingers before you dip. And then during the actual jerk, you know, you're not thinking of anything. Those are things that you think about to prepare yourself to be in the right position to start with before you even initiate the dip and drive. Now, once you start doing the dip and drive, you know, things get, it's just, it's just so complex that you don't want to be thinking about those things during the movement. So drills is the best way I've found to really you know, trick you into doing it. And there's a lot of drills out there. I think USAW's split jerk progression in the uh, level one that they do is pretty good. You know, they, uh, they show you a lot of those jerks. So when I'm coaching someone that's new, I probably have them do drills for almost two weeks before they actually do a split jerk. And, uh, you know, also, you know, there's some other people and there's just a few people out there and they're just good at split jerks. They just understand it innately. You know, they don't have to be taught. And, uh, you know, those are those people that never miss jerks. And it's just like, you know, they might not do it exactly theoretically how I'm coaching the jerk. But if they're making jerks, you know, and it it looks good, like, I, I try not to mess with it. You know, that's the other thing about the jerk. There's a lots of different, I feel like there's more different ways to do the jerk than there are to do the snatch and the clean successfully. Um, and if someone's doing a jerk and they're, they're making lifts that are, you know, I think the, the example that I used, there's a few people that, uh, just consistently make jerks. There, the West Barnett was a big one who always made a jerk. Uh, there's a, there's a female weightlifter and I'm drawing a blank on her name a lighter weightlifter that just was very consistent and made jerks. Her cleans would be really hard, and then boom, she'd make the jerk like nothing, and it would be perfect. And uh, it was just kind of a, you know, they knew how to jerk. Their body moved. It, their proportions gave them an advantage in that in that discipline of, uh, of weightlifting, and they, uh, they did it well. So you're going to run across some of those people, and you don't really want to mess them up too much just to just to make them fit into your or someone else's preconceived ideas of what a jerk should be. So you get some of those and some like those people, I'll have them, uh, I'll allow them to jerk before those two weeks. Uh, But it's still, you know, it's not bad to have them do those drills, you know, have them do press and splits, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit in that. So that's a, that's a pretty deep into this split jerk conversation. There's probably some more stuff that we could go in in this split jerk and that I just didn't graze over. I just grazed over kind of a, a lot of it. You know, maybe the one last thing, you finish the jerk, you got to wait for the judge to give you the down signal before you drop it. And with the most recent Kate and I Olympics thing, you have to keep your hands on the bar until the bar passes the shoulders on the way down when you're dropping the bar. Because uh, otherwise, they will give you red lights at the Olympics and take away your lift. Uh, <laughs> if uh, you, you'll have to look up that whole story, and uh, 
You'll have to look up uh, Kate Nye's evil eye that she gave the judges at the Olympics, which is kind of funny. But those next two lifts, you know what she did? She held onto that bar, and, uh, and then she got, uh, you know, she got she got made lifts. So that that's what counted. So you got to follow the rules. So now I've uh, I've kind of dug pretty deep into exercise selection and uh, talking about talking my way through the split jerk and the technique and all that stuff. The next uh, thing that I want to talk about with the split jerk is, you know, the, for those of you who don't know, I'm a, uh, a licensed massage and a bodywork therapist. I use a lot of my stuff specifically for weightlifting. You know, a lot of my, my techniques are, you know, about changing posture and then reducing pain. And that's really kind of where I've kind of found my specialty. You know, there are some sports massage where they like prepare you for competition. You know, that's one type of massage. And I don't really do that a whole lot. I do it a little bit. Um, but kind of really where I've kind of dove in deep is about keeping people, you know, injury free, um, keeping people balanced and out of pain. So in the split jerk, whenever you're moving in day-to-day life, you know, when you're in the split, you're walking forward or you're moving backwards or, you know, left or right. Uh, when you're supporting things vertically, you tend to have square feet. So, you know, your, your feet side by side when you're doing squats or when you're, uh, when you're jumping up, you know, your feet are right next to each other. You know, if you're jumping forward, you're kind of you're kind of running, and you can jump off of one foot. You're still kind of jumping up, but there's still a little bit of a forward aspect to it. So, my point is is that being in a split, and most weightlifters, which is correct, is that they're mostly doing their heavy weights with one leg forward, the predominant leg forward. And so what happens is they uh, they develop an imbalance. And so if that leg is always forward, and that load is pushing down on them, you know they're uh, they're they're getting a muscular imbalance. And for the most part, that is the least biomechanically correct movement out of snatch and clean and jerk. By that I mean it. Um, so when you do an exercise, you adapt to the good things and the bad things. So for example, uh, if you do a bench press you know, the good things. All right, you're getting stronger arms and shoulders and chest muscles. Um, the bad things is, you know, if you do it a lot, you tend to have, get overly internally rotated and your shoulders kind of slouch forward and you kind of develop some bad posture things. You get some rotator cuff impingement stuff. So, you know, is it worth doing the bench press? Yes. If you overdo it, you are also going to adapt to the negative effects of that exercise. So I would say bench press is kind of low on the biomechanically correct exercises. Um, the squat, uh, a full depth, you know, astagrass squat is a pretty biomechanically correct. If you do it correctly and with good control, you're going to develop a balanced musculature your knees will be balanced. If you go, if you do half squats, you're only training the lateral side of your quad, and then you're going to have some knee tracking issues. You know, if you squat full depth, you're going to get a nice balanced development of your quads and your glutes and your back, and you're going to be relatively um, injury-free, even if you do them very often. You'll get some overuse injuries um, because, you know, there's, you adapt to the good and the bad of the exercise. So the same thing with the clean, there's a very few negative effects of the clean you know some people depending on proportions and stuff might have some odd things that uh, they adapt poorly to Uh, but then the snatch is similar you know if you do it correctly and you have the mobility to get into a good position you know there are very few things that you will adapt to that is bad about the snatch Uh, and you'll get mostly positive adaptions that's why athletes can snatch and clean and jerk you know every day maybe not every day, but at least even say like moderately, like they can snatch clean and jerk three times a week year round and not really have any major issues. Now, if you bench press three times a week in a year, you're going to be going to your chiropractor and wondering why he can't fix you or your massage therapist, 
you know, unless you do other things to counteract those negative effects, like um, go to your chiropractor or massage therapist or get structurally balanced and train the backside of your body or make sure that you're training in a full range of motion. So that aside, you know, I need to get off the topic of bench press because this is about the jerk. The jerk, the snatch and the clean are generally not a lot of bad things that you're going to adapt to. The split jerk, that is not the case. You know, you're in a split and you're loaded in a split position. Uh, you're going to have some negative adaptions and you're going to have some unequal adaptions left to right. And whenever that happens, that's when you really start coming into some issues in the sport of weightlifting. So let's say your right foot goes forward every time and then your left foot goes back in the split. In general, you're going to be, you're moving unweighted, uh, but you're going to be doing a lot of reps if you're a weightlifter. You're going to be doing a lot of reps. Uh, I have my athletes do both legs forward to limit the amount of imbalance that this creates. But if you only did the right leg forward, you're going to overdevelop the right hip flexors. Um, and then if you only do the left leg back, you're going to kind of um, overdevelop or maybe overdevelop is not the, the right term. Uh, it'll tends to be more of a shortened position. You know, your hamstring and your glute will tend to be a little bit tighter. And then when that happens over and over and over, then you start seeing the effects of that when you squat. And you squat and you start seeing that front foot, the, the right foot, will jump a little bit forward in the catch of the clean or the snatch. And then you'll see a little twist. You'll see a little shift of the hips. And, it's, and it happens slowly. But uh, these are all things that could be addressed with uh, soft tissue work while you're doing it and making sure that you do your assistance work uh, with both legs. Some people say don't do the split jerk both ways because, you know, you're going to be teaching bad habits. You know, you want to be 100% certain that you're only going to do the right one. So you want to develop that motor pattern. But I, uh, I do not agree with that. I think you should be able to do both ways, at least up to 80% of your one rep max, because uh, you know why? Because you're an athlete. You know, you have to be able to be athletic. You know, there's no reason that you can't do both ways and then not be confused about which leg goes forward on competition. You know, that's, uh, I always thought that was a silly excuse um, to not do both legs. Um, you're athletic you can learn skills. If a skateboarder can learn to go switch, you know, that's where they're riding the board backwards and they get more points in it in their sport by, you know, skating switch, you know, a weightlifter who only has three moves should be able to, you know, do their jerk switch. That's a, so that's another topic. Um, that's going to come down to individual coaching. And, and if, uh, uh the other thing is if your coach says not to do that, I, you should commit 100% to your coach because you are invested in that coach. And this is, these are just my opinions. This is how I coach. Um, and maybe this conversation can come up and I can persuade some more people to, uh, to my side, or maybe I'll have another coach that'll come over and persuade me and be like, oh yeah, but your athletes aren't, uh, you know, whatever their conversation is. Maybe I'll change my mind down the road. But as of right now, especially being a massage therapist, I like to learn how to do both legs forward. But you can also address this by doing unilateral work, you know, split squats and stuff like that. So when you're doing massage therapy, one of my athletes, what they brought in actually today, um, Donnie brought in this, uh, this tool that you wear as a belt. And it's, it's like a... I forget what the name of that belt is. It's one of those uh, one of those CrossFit belts that are like really big. You know, in weightlifting, they can only be like 12 or 13 centimeters uh, wide. And these belts are really big. So they're like, you know, almost nine inches tall. Uh, but then you, you would insert two lacrosse balls into little pockets on that belt. And then you would tighten the belt so that those lacrosse balls would kind of be pushing in uh, right at your stomach, kind of, um, where you would go into, uh, work on your psoas or yeah, the, or the obliques when you're doing like, um, you know, getting a, a myofascial release, but this one is a belt that you would wear and these lacrosse balls would push in. 
Now, I haven't tried it yet. I'm looking forward to trying it out and to see if it really gets as deep into the psoas or whether it's just kind of getting the superficial muscles, um, yeah, like the obliques and stuff, which there are still a lot of benefits of releasing the uh, you know trigger points in the obliques. If no one's ever gotten a stomach massage, you are missing out. Uh, it is uh, very valuable, and it will improve your performance, I think. Uh, I don't think. I, I know it will because I've seen it happen, you know, immediately. So, but the difference with this belt is, is that you put it on and it's constantly putting pressure on there while you're going through movement. And it's not intense pressure. It's just like a reminder. And you're breathing and you're exhaling into it and you're inhaling into it. And then when you exhale, those muscles relax. And that lacrosse golf kind of pushes in deeper and gets into, uh, uh, potentially into the psoas, you know, I, it would also depend on, uh, on how thick you are or how much adipose tissue you have that you have to go through. Um, but for, you know, a, um, you know, some of the lighter weight people, I think that lacrosse ball would probably get right into that psoas. So I'm interested in trying that out to see how it, how it works doing movement with that to kind of release that psoas. Because what you want to do is you want to release those uh, that that front leg, let's say it's your right leg. Uh, you want to release that psoas uh, on the right leg, and then you want to release the hamstring on the left leg and the glutes uh, to kind of help balance out. Because if they continue to uh, stay tight and tight, you're going to have that shift, and you're also going to eventually you're going to put pressure on that SI joint. And when that SI joint gets pressured one way, where the front the right hip is getting pulled forward and the left hip is getting pulled back. It twists it and it gets it kind of stuck. Uh, and then when it gets stuck, it hurts. And people are like, oh, my back's hurt. Like, I'm out of sport. Uh, when really, it's not even your back that's the problem. It's your hip flexors, and um, which could be your hip flexors or your psoas and your, your quad. Uh, the TFL, I believe, is uh, also one of the hip flexors, tensor fascia lata. Um, and rectus femoris is another hip flexor so you've got to kind of release all of those and then you release the hip extensors on the opposite leg the muscles that are pushing the back leg back and that reduces that tension on the si joint which is a kind of um it, it is slightly off center to the spine and down on the hip joint that is where your si joint is it's where your sacrum you know your tailbone and your iliac your hip bone kind of meet and that's uh that's where that tension is. That's where that SI joint is. Um, so that's one of those common things that can just be easily resolved by, you know, getting that body work, um, you know, keeping things even, doing bilateral, you know, structural balance exercises to counteract the um, incur the not incorrect the, uh, you know, the the unbalanced nature of the split jerk, and uh, and I think. By doing that too, you also find that your hips will be stronger and more balanced in the split uh, by keeping everything even. Because uh, sometimes, you know, some people will have one hip that'll just want to collapse. Because what this does is it just kind of creates like this chain effect, kind of up the body. You know, you know, there there's a couple different ways that the SI joint kind of goes out. Um, you know, one of them is this rotation that I was talking about, and then another one is. Uh, you know, this one's hard to explain without a visual, but it's almost like this ladder type effect, you know, where let's just say your, um, your back leg adductor is tight, your right glute, uh, medial glute is tight, your left QL is tight, which is QL is a lower back muscle, uh, and it just kind of goes back and forth, and then you're kind of out of position by the time it reaches your shoulders, and you're thinking, oh, my lockout, there's something wrong with it. No, it actually comes down to your hips. And most of the time it does come down to the hips. So, you know, I think that's like the biggest thing that you can do. Just always look back to the hips and, you know, find out where that is. You know, sometimes the hips are, you know, start there or start at the feet and the ankles and work your way up. And then you'll start, you know, fixing your issues. You know, it's not always, it's not always the lockout or the shoulders. You know, that's just where you're feeling the pain. So we're kind of getting deep into this. Um, uh, a good way to, you know, you can find some good YouTube videos 
about uh, releasing your psoas, uh, doing some self-release. There's a there's this little belt thing that I've been talking about, and you know what? I don't even know the name brand of it. Um, then there's this uh, little trinket called like a so right that's got real popular. I've got one of those. Uh, and some people love them. I'm not a huge fan of them. Uh, they, I mean, they do help you learn how to get into your psoas, which is one thing. Um, but also just laying on your back and kind of tilting right slightly over to your side and using a kettlebell to kind of use that pressure. The, the handle of the kettlebell to push in to the psoas is a good release um, for the psoas. And, you know, or, you know, even better, go to someone that knows how to work on a psoas. You know, if you're around Charlotte, you know, come into the gym, um, come out to house weightlifting, and I can show you what it's like and how to work on your own psoas. Um, just so you can get that feel and you can start addressing these issues in your training immediately. And then, uh, then the other one I like to do is, you know, first, first priority is to get the trigger points out with, you know, a sew right or, you know, some, um, manual work, um, and to release those trigger points on the, the hamstring of the back leg, you know, you can get a, you can get a, uh, I'd like it like an eight inch medicine ball. It's a good one to roll around on a foam roller. Uh, but really what I like is I like somebody to just walk it on your hamstrings. You know, you don't walk on the back of the knee, but you or just have someone stand on your hamstrings. Uh, and, you know, don't do it for more than a minute in the same spot so you don't cut off circulation too much. And uh, you, you might as well do both of them while you're at it because your hamstrings are probably getting a little bit tense from all the pulls that you've been doing. But that will help get those trigger points out so that when you stretch, your stretching is more effective because you can't you can't outstretch you can't stretch through trigger points you know it's just going to be unsuccessful you know the best way to do is get nice pliable soft muscles and then you can stretch them and then you'll be more successful so we kind of went we went on the deep end on all this uh this jerk work and this is kind of what we've been talking about in the gym and that maybe even to more of an extent where I can really get into it. Because I can't talk like this in the gym, especially while someone's doing a jerk. They're going to be way confused. You know, you, you don't throw this at someone, you know, mid-training session. It's just uh, it's just too much. But it's kind of cool to kind of go over it and, um, you know, learn some more of the ins and outs. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually working towards getting better and better. Uh, so I think that's all I got for you today. I didn't expect to go this far in on the jerk. I thought it was just going to be part of the podcast, but I kind of got on a rant, uh, which is kind of fun. You know, I'll, uh, I'll be all right with it. Um, so I should be on iTunes soon. Uh, if it, depending on when you're listening to this right now, we're on Spotify and, um, I, I think like Amazon podcast, but whatever platform you're listening to, if you could, um, it'd be a huge help if you subscribe to the channel, uh, get notified when new episodes come out, uh, write a review. They really help out. And then, uh, and then just, uh, let people know about it. Uh, if you want to share it on social media, you know, that would be a big help to me too. And, uh, right now that is, are the best ways that you can help support this podcast. And I appreciate you all listening and until next time.